There are times where if you start at the end, you ruin everything. Church potlucks are like that, aren't they? It's so tempting to get your plate and go to the dessert table, but if you do that, then your mother will surely call out to you, stop it, son, you're going to ruin your appetite. Don't you know you don't start at the end? You've got to eat your salad first. And then you're, well, let's be honest, nobody brings green beans or broccoli to a church potluck. The point is, with food, when it comes to dinner, you're not supposed to start at the end. It ruins your appetite. Detective novels work like this, too. If you read the last chapter of the book, you spoil it all, right? You spoil all the fun of trying to figure out who done it along the way. You spoil that thrill of excitement when that little bit of truth comes out and you run all the way back through the book and say, aha, I should have seen it all along. There are some times when starting at the end really does spoil everything. But when it comes to the things of Christ, when it comes to the scriptures and to his word, I tell you what, there is nothing spoiled by beginning at the end. Every church year, we start at the end. Advent is not just pre-Christmas. I know it's hard to hold off Christmas, and we put out all the decorations, and pastors like me then lament, why don't people recognize Advent anymore? Why do they rush to Christmas? Well, how can we help ourselves, right? But Advent is supposed to, it is supposed to get us starting at the very end. And so this year, we're going to do just that. We're going to start in Revelation 21 and 22, the last two books, or the last two chapters of the Bible. We start at the end of the story, and there's no disclaimers here. There's no mom who's going to come running in and say, oh, pastor, you're going to spoil everything. You're going to ruin everyone's appetite. Because when you go to the end of Scripture, when you start at the end with Christ, something wonderful happens. Instead of ruining your appetite, it increases your appetite. The Bible gives us the story not just of our own personal lives. The Bible gives us the story of everything. It's not even just that the Bible gives us the church's story, as if the church was some kind of little carve-out of the rest of the world. No, the story of Scripture is cosmic. It is universal. It is the story of everything. It begins, you know well, in a garden, right? And it ends, as we heard tonight, with a city. From garden to city. That's the story of scripture. That's the story of all things. It's the story of the universe. It is the story that our Lord is still at work bringing to completion. And in the last two chapters of Revelation, it is that city that comes to the fore. It is a city, but it's a strange city, isn't it? It's a city that is at the one and the same time also a bride. A city that is at one and the same time also an entire people. It's kind of like a kaleidoscope, isn't it? Remember looking through a kaleidoscope? You look through the end of it, and as you spin it, the image changes all the time. It gets better and better and better, and it keeps on moving, keeps on changing. So it is in Revelation. We come to chapter 21 and chapter 22, and we see the same city, the New Jerusalem, but we see it twice. We see it the way it was described tonight, and we'll see it the way it's described the next two weeks. And we start here in chapter 21 with the very end. And what we'll come to next week and the week after is the city in time. Now, why would we do it that way? That seems a bit odd, doesn't it? Why have two visions and put them out of order or what seems like to us to be out of order? 
Well, you have to think like an architect. You have to think like a city planner or a designer tonight for just a minute. If you're going to build a great city, you start at the end. What I mean is you don't simply go out and pour the foundation and hope that somehow, some way, it's all going to work out. The architect, the designer, starts with the final picture in mind and works his way backwards. And do you know who is a great architect? Your heavenly father. Do you know who is the most brilliant city planner? Your Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know who is the most ingenious designer of all? Of course you do, because I said father and son, and so now the obvious answer is the Holy Spirit. You can count on it. The Holy Trinity starts with the end. And rather than ruining our appetite when we follow in his footsteps, what we will find this year is that the end increases our appetite. But it's not the appetite for food that we speak of here tonight. It is our appetite, our love of this city, of this bride, of this people. So let's think a little more about this city. Why is it that John shows us the future? Why do we have this picture of the end of all things? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if you could, would you want to see your own future? You probably have thought about it. It's the kind of thing that little kids talk about this way. If you, wanted to, if you could find out how you're going to die, would you want to know it? And of course, we might say, well, no, no, no. I'm glad to not know that. But it sure is tempting, isn't it? It sure is tempting to know what might happen next week, what might happen next year, what might happen 10 years from now. It's always been this way with humans. The ancients believed that somehow the fates were written up in the heavens above us and they could be read with enough attention to all the movements of the planets. And other ancient peoples looked for signs and omens of the future in every change of the weather. And some even looked inside the entrails of animals. We won't go into all of that tonight. But what you see there is this fascination with the future. Why are we like that? A part of the answer is because we're curious people, aren't we? Knowledge of the future would satisfy the curiosities that we have. Is it going to be a white Christmas or not? Is it going to be a baby girl or a baby boy? Our curiosities are not always guilty ones. But if we're being honest, quite often they are. Quite often our fascination with the future is because we want to somehow selfishly profit from from it. The sluggard in each one of us wants to get rich without having to do work, and so we dream of discovering somehow, some way, the winning lottery numbers of the future. But God has not revealed the end to us in order to satisfy any curiosity, whether it's an innocent one or a guilty one for that matter. The vision of the new heavens and the new earth is not given to tickle our fancies or help us win a jackpot. Why then? Why does God give us this vision, and why should we start at the end? Well, instead of asking the question, if, would you want to know, maybe we should put it in terms of necessity. Why do we need to know this? See, that little bit of change kind of puts us in a better position. Why do we need to know these things? God gives us the things that we need, right? Not just the things that we want. So ask yourself tonight, why do we need to know about this city. And I'm going to suggest for you that there's three reasons. First, I want to say that it has to do with the nature of faith. And by faith, I mean trust. 
God calls us to trust him, doesn't he? And so he gives us the stuff that that trust relies on. God gives us promises over and over and over again. He is abundant in his promises. He is the promise-making God. And this is just another one of those promises. He says, here is what I am preparing. Here is what I have in store for you. You can trust it. You can count on it. Trust me, our father says. Let me show you the future that I am working so that you may be strengthened in faith. But see, that's true of all of God's promises. It's not just this specific promise about the future. That's true of any of his promises. So I think we can say something more. It's not just about faith, but it's also about hope. Whenever we talk about the future, hope should come to our minds. The Lord Jesus doesn't give us every last detail, does he? But he isn't afraid of being specific. He doesn't want us to simply be satisfied with a general idea that somehow, someway, things are going to work out. God doesn't want you apathetic about the future. He wants you to hope for it. And what I mean by hope is to eagerly expect it. It's not the stuff like, well, I hope there's snow on Christmas morning. I hope that Kentucky wins. They usually do, right? But when we talk about hope in Scripture, it is a conviction of unseen things. And to build up this hope in us, our Lord shows us the end. Now, our world knows very little about real biblical hope. We know about disappointments in hope, don't we? But we also, when that happens, eventually people kind of throw their hands up in the air and give up. And if you look around at our nation, and if you look into our families, and even if you look in yourself, you can see what happens when people lose hope. When they lose sight of some kind of unified future, everybody starts going all over the place. Don't you think that's part of the cause of all of the fractions in our society? Don't you think that's part of the cause of the fractions that come on a family? We lose hope. We lose that unified sense of some future goal. Well, our Lord Jesus does not want us to drift apart, and so he says, here is what the end will be. Here is what I want you all to hope for. Here is what I want every family, every individual, every person who is ever created to set their hope in. So then, faith and hope. And I'll bet, I'll bet that some of you in the room know exactly what I'm going to say next. It's almost like saying Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Faith and hope and love. Because if you hope for something, chances are you're going to love it. Jesus presents this holy city, his holy bride, in front of you tonight so that you would learn to love these things. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing, a very sad thing, what sin does to our loves. Sin distorts our loves. It distorts our desires, and we end up loving all the wrong things. Well, here Jesus gives you the end, the things that you ought to love. He gives you this picture of the end to train you in love, to train you in desire. He gives you this picture of all the stuff that's going to be thrown away one day, of all the stuff that's kindling, so that you would not love those things, cowardice, sexual immorality, all that whole list. All of that is thrown into the fire. Don't love those things. Love instead the things that endure. For the former things will pass away, and then the new things will come. 
So then, the end gives you this strengthening of faith, it kindles your hope, and it trains you in love. But I think there's one other thing, if you'll allow me to say it tonight. Not just those three, but God gives us this picture of the end quite apart from what we need. God doesn't just give us things that we need. He shows us this because of who he is. Think of it this way, right? You buy your wife or your child a great present for Christmas. And maybe some of you are really good at keeping a secret, and you can put it off in a closet, and you can wrap it up, and you can not mention it at all, and you can cover up the emails and the receipts, and you can keep it all a secret, right? But don't you know that feeling deep down where you want to just say, I've got the perfect gift for you. I can't wait for you to open this. There is something like that in our Lord. He has prepared this wonderful thing for us, and he shows us the end because he can't keep it to himself. Jesus says to us, it's like this. It's like we come into the church potluck, and Jesus says, go to the dessert table first. Go to the dessert table first and just see what I have prepared for you. It won't ruin your appetite, I promise. Instead, it will do just the opposite. And that is exactly what happens, isn't it? When we hear the glorious hope that our Lord Jesus has prepared for us, that is exactly what happened. Our love is inflamed, our hope is kindled, our faith is strengthened, and instead of saying, oh, that spoils it all, we learn to love that city. We hope for that city. We believe in that city. We throw ourselves into that city. So go ahead, dear friends, start at the end this year and every year. Read it early, read it often. Jesus isn't going to come and say, you've spoiled it all. He's written it down so that you may do this very thing. To him be the glory now and always. Amen.